Amen. Let me tell you about my Jesus. We're going to get to the Word today, right? Yeah, I was talking to someone not too long ago, and uh, they had a bad experience with the church, and, and said, yeah, there's just a lot of ego and, you know, kind of pride and stuff going on there, and, and uh, they didn't say what church, and it didn't matter, but uh, I said, you know what? Our church is about Jesus. All that stuff is, you know, out the window. You know, we're, we're, we're striving to keep our eyes on Jesus, uh, that we love him more, that we share him more, uh, and so hopefully that's what you get here when, when you're here, you get Jesus. Uh, it's good to see George Matthewson with us. George, it's good to, always good to have you. Uh, Dennis, Dennis Diedrich, so good to have you here. We've been praying for you. Uh, praise God, just for the work he's doing in your life physically, just getting you back on your feet even. Uh, from COVID. So, uh, so happy to have you here. Uh, all right. Last week, we, uh, we talked about this woman at a well, a conversation that Jesus had with a Samaritan. Remember, Samaritans were people who were despised by the Jews. But more than just being a Samaritan, more than just being someone despised by the Jews, this woman also had some serious moral baggage. She had a a lot of shame she was carrying around. And that's why she was at the well all by herself at the hottest part of the day because she didn't want to run into anybody. And yet, and yet, despite the deck being stacked against her in the eyes of the world, Jesus offers her living water. He offers her living water. He tells her, go get your shame and come to me. Go bring your baggage and come to me. And I will take your shame and I will thirst for you so that you can be quenched by the living water of God's grace, of his acceptance, and of his forgiveness. And this conversation ended with Jesus telling her that he is the Christ. He is the Christ. But now what? What impact does this have on her? What what happens next? How does she respond? What does she do? What does this all mean? So we're going to look at the text now. We're going to find out. I invite you to grab your Bibles. Turn with me to John 4. We're going to be in verses 27 to 45. If you don't have a Bible, please use one of the Pew Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, period, and you need one, take that home with you. That's our gift to you. And once you're there, if you're able, I invite you to stand with me out of reverence for God's Word. So we, as I read this aloud for us. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a Samaritan woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town And said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to him, to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me 
and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. We know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast they too had gone to the feast. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, all around us we see evidence of new life. Flowers are beginning to spring up from the ground. God, we pray this morning for fertile soil in the hearts who hear your word this morning. That it would be good soil, not rocky soil, not thorny weedy soil, but good soil. God, we pray that your word would, as a seed, take, take root in hearts and in lives today and that new life would begin to sprout and grow. Father, we pray against our, our enemy, Satan, that he would not snatch that seed. So, Father, we pray for just uh, the, the, the perfect conditions of the soil of our hearts today. May your spirit be our teacher. Open our eyes that we may see and behold the wonders and the glory of Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now when Jesus spoke with Nicodemus a couple weeks back, he told him about his need to be born again. Now Jesus talks with this woman and he tells her that she needs living water. She needs to be made a true worshiper who worships the Father in spirit and truth. Jesus is talking about the same thing here in both instances, each time. But here, with this woman, I think there are some really good reasons to believe that she, in fact, has been born again. That there's evidence of new life here. That she's been made alive spiritually. How do we know this? Well, how do you know if anyone is physically alive? There's certain vital signs that you can point to to know if someone is in fact alive. Are they breathing? Do they have a pulse? Is there brain activity? All of these things are things we look to to see if someone is alive or or not. And just as there are signs of 
physical life that we can point to, there are also signs of spiritual life that we can look for. And that's what we're going after today as we look at the rest of this woman's story. And as we do, we can ask ourselves and ask the Spirit to to search your hearts. Ask yourselves this question, are these signs of life evident in my life? Perhaps you're here this morning or watching online and you're technically alive spiritually, but not very healthy. Or maybe you're malnourished. Or maybe you're on life support. Or perhaps there's some here today even who need to be made alive in the first place. So ask yourselves that question. May the Spirit search your hearts. Are these signs of life evident in my life? So what are these signs of life? There's three that I'm going to point to today from the text. I won't give them to you now, so pay attention. But here's a clue. They all begin with C. How's that? So the first one, confessing Christ. One of the first signs of life that doctors look for in newborns, and I know something about this. I've seen a few births in my days. Uh, one of the first things they look for is, are they crying? Are they crying? This is, this is evidence that air has entered their lungs and that the baby is, in fact, breathing. So they're looking for a cry. That's a, that's a good thing. And it's the same spiritually. If a person's been born again, we look for a cry. We look for a cry of new life. Evidence that the breath of God has in fact come into a person and they are breathing spiritually. And so in in verse 29, one of the first things this woman does, she opens her mouth. There's a cry. And what she's saying, she's testifying. She's testifying to others, inviting them to come see Jesus. This is the cry of new spiritual life. She can't keep quiet after this encounter with Jesus. She, she just has to speak of Jesus. Now contrast this with the disciples' response. They clearly don't get it yet. And when they see that Jesus is talking with this highly questionable woman, it leaves them speechless. But this same encounter that brings new life to this woman makes it so that she can't keep from speaking. She's full of speech. Now contrast this with Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to Jesus. Jesus came to this woman. He pursued her. Nicodemus asks the first question. Well, Here with this woman, Jesus initiates the conversation. Nicodemus even asks, how how is it possible for a person to be born again? The woman tries to change the subject when Jesus gets a little too close. And yet, there's no record in the Gospels of Nicodemus ever confessing Jesus as the Christ. So the best we can say about Nicodemus is that he may have been born again, but we ultimately don't know because there just isn't that evidence in the text. I like to personally think that he, he has, but we, we can't say with the degree of confidence that he was born again that we can with this woman. It's true uh, that Nicodemus uh, helped prepare Jesus' body for burial. And that's one of the things I like to point to is 
a reason that he may, in fact, have been born again. But, you know, a, a guilty unbeliever could do the same thing. Someone, an unbeliever with a guilty conscience could, could do that same thing. I like to think that he was born again. But again, we can't say without certainty because there isn't that evidence of a cry. There is no confession of Christ that we can see in his life. On the other hand, this woman opens her mouth, testifying to others that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Now notice something. Jesus has a testimony too. He testified about himself to the woman first that he was the Christ. Now look what happens. The core of Jesus' testimony has become the core of this woman's testimony. Jesus' testimony becomes her testimony. In verse 39, we learn that many Samaritans believed because of her testimony. Now I want you to notice something here. This woman is brand new. She hasn't had a class in evangelism. She didn't wait to grow a little bit more and to get a little bit more mature in her relationship with Jesus. She just goes out and tells people about how Jesus changed her life. Invites others to come see him and be changed too. It doesn't take a class in evangelism. It doesn't take special training or uh, deep maturity. But look closely. After spending time with Jesus... Verse 41 tells us, and by the way, the fact that Jesus agreed to spend two days in Samaria with Samaritans should tell you another thing about Jesus' compassion for people. Uh, These were despised people by the Jews, and he just extends so much compassion to them. But back to the point here. He tells us that after, after these people spend time with Jesus, that many more believed because of his words. Many more believe because of his words. The people tell this woman, we believed on a certain level because of what you said, but now we've spent time with Jesus. We've looked at his, we've heard his words for ourselves. We're all in. This is the real deal. He is the savior of the world. We've experienced it for ourselves. We've heard his words firsthand. It's no longer because of what you've said. It's because we've heard it for ourselves. This tells us something more about the cry of life in a believer. It's this. Our testimony is good and God uses it. But it's only good so far as it points others to Jesus. Not to embellish ourselves or our story or to puff ourselves up in any way, but our our testimonies uh, are to point other people to Jesus because his testimony about himself is what gives life. When we share our faith, we're not calling on people to come join a new self-help program or attend an event or a new system, or adopt a new moral code. No, we're, we're calling them to a person. Come and see a man who changed my life. Come and see for yourself. And where is it that people can hear from Jesus directly today? It's in his word. 
in his word. We have the word of God in our Bibles. And this is why one of the best things you can do when, when sharing your faith with someone is to invite them to read the Bible with you. Say, hey, let's read through Mark together and just see where this goes. Hear from him yourself. Don't take my word for it. Look at it for yourself and determine, you know, what you think. That's one of the best ways you can do because there is power in the word of God. There's power in the gospel that, that there isn't in your own testimony, in your own words, okay? God uses that. But the power to change life, the power to bring new life is in the words of Jesus, is in the scriptures. <clears throat> so invite people to read the Bible with you. One of the ways you can do this coming up is to invite someone to our Easter service. Now, you can always invite anyone to any service, but for whatever reason, people seem to be more open around Christmas and Easter to accepting an invitation to go to church with you. Let them come. Let them see the love of Christ in this body, in his church. Let them hear his word preached. Let, let them hear uh, of the hope of Jesus being sung with joy in our, in our midst here. And pray for the Spirit to move in their hearts. That's all it may take. It may not be your, your best arguments. It may just mean that they need to hear the word for themselves. And another thing about Easter is that we're going to be promoting a new three-week course called Hope Explored. Hope Explored. And it's going to press into this question, what's the best possible future that you can imagine for yourselves? And a lot of people without Christ, uh, it, it's a limited future. Uh, there, there's no future like knowing Jesus, and we want to introduce that to them through this Hope Explored course. It's, it's three weeks. We'll run it during the Sunday school hour, and that's a perfect opportunity for you to say to your friend, do you invite to church on Easter Sunday? And you're sitting there together. You see the video on the screen, the little commercial, and you kind of nudge in the, you say, hey, wouldn't that be cool? Like, I'm interested in that. You want to come with me? Right? Let's look at the Word together. Right? Let's look at Jesus' words and examine it for ourselves and see where that goes. This is a great way to say to someone, come with me. Come see a man who changed my life. I think he could change yours too. So the cry of life, confessing Jesus as Christ. That's the first sign of life. Here's the next one. A change of values. Remember that this woman came to the well to fill her jar with water. But notice what happens. In verse 28, the woman leaves her jar behind and she goes into town. The very reason and purpose for which she was there at the well in the first place didn't even matter anymore. She left it there. It no longer mattered to her. She had new priorities. She had new values. Her old desires and interests, the place where she used to look to for satisfaction and value and self-worth, she leaves it all behind. She now has new desires and interests, but what are they? This is what Jesus explains to his disciples because they don't understand this yet. Why he was talking to this woman. They don't get it. So it's, it's actually funny here when you read the text because they're probably thinking to themselves, he's probably just really hungry. You know, he's not thinking clearly. You know, everyone ever been there? You make poor decisions on an empty stomach. 
You know, you go grocery shopping when you're hungry and you buy way more food than you need. Uh, and you just, there's something about it that affects your brain. And the disciples were thinking, get this guy some food fast because he's talking to Samaritan women. He's hungry. Get this, get this guy some food. Jesus says to them, I'm not the one who's not thinking clearly. I have all the nourishment I need. Remember what Jesus tells Satan in Matthew 4.4 when he's being tempted. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is the food that Jesus has. He says his food is to do the will of him who sent him. What is this work? What is this work? It's harvesting. It's harvesting. Reaching lost sinners for eternal life. This is the work. This is the will of of God the Father who sent him. And this is what Jesus was doing at the well. He wasn't out of his mind. He was harvesting. And now, this is what the woman is doing She's going back into town to do the will of the Father. She's harvesting. And just like Jesus' testimony about himself became her confession, her testimony about Jesus, her cry of new life, so now, here too, Jesus' work of harvesting is becoming her work. It's becoming her work. Notice how these signs of life mirror and reflect the one who gave life in the first place. Her confession, her work. But this work is not a nine-to-five grind, punching in, punching out, something you just got to do because you got to do it. Anyone ever been there? You just do things because you got to do them. There's no joy in it. That's not what this work is about. Verse uh, 36 says, Those who labor in the harvest rejoice. They rejoice together. They rejoice together. Does your work for the Lord lack joy? Does your soul feel dry and lifeless? The answer may not be joining another Bible study. If you want a shot in the arm, spiritually, a boost of enthusiasm and joy, get to work in the harvest. Get to work in the harvest because there is rejoicing that happens there. Some of the highest times in my life, spiritually speaking, is when I'm sharing my faith with people. And it may not even mean that that person puts their trust in Christ that day. We may have had a great conversation where I've consistently pointed them to Jesus and I've walked away just feeling so jacked up. Like, yes, yes. Anyone ever been there? Right? And you're like, why don't I do that more often? This feels good. We need, we need, we need outlet, not just inlet. We can't just be feeding ourselves all the time uh, and joining more and more Bible studies thinking that's going to be the answer. We've got to get to work in the harvest and there's joy there that will revitalize your faith. Okay. So that's the second sign of life, changed values. <clears throat> Remember the first one was a cry of confession of Jesus. Now the final sign, compassion for the lost. Notice something here in verse 28. Not only does she leave her water jar 
but she goes back into town to tell others about Jesus. The very same town that shunned her. There's a lot of baggage there that previously she was running from and wanted to hide from it. She's probably hurt people there or used many of them. She's likely been hurt by them and used by them too and rejected by many of them. And these are the same people, again, that she wanted nothing to do with before, but now she's going to them. She's going to them. Why? What would compel a person to go to people that have rejected them? Compassion. Compassion and love. Just as Jesus' compassion or confession became her confession, and just as Jesus' work became her work and, and his values, her values, so now Jesus' compassion for the lost becomes her compassion too for the lost. First John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. And this is what Jesus is trying to teach his clueless disciples here. That God's love, God's harvest, is not just for people who are easy to love. It's for the despised. It's for the rejected. It's for the outcast. It's even for your enemies. It's for the Samaritans. Look at verse 35. Jesus says, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? And he says, look at this. He says, look, look. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. He says, look, lift up your eyes. What are they going to see when they do this? They're in Samaria and they're surrounded by Samaritans. They're going to see Samaritan people. People that have been rejected and historically despised by the Jews And Jesus is telling him that these fields right here, these Samaritan fields are white for harvest. And the message is this, God is saving people that the world rejects. He's saving people that we oftentimes think are unlikely, so we don't bother. And this is what the woman felt from Jesus. He knew all the junk of her messed up, broken life. And he still offered her living water. He still offered her living water, eternal life. Jesus loved this woman while she was still an outcast, Samaritan sinner, and it changed her. And now she's compelled by love to draw near to those who once repelled her. Listen to how Paul describes this. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. We have a, a church here that meets on Sunday mornings, uh, a small body of believers. Uh, they're a Korean-speaking-only church. I meet down in the gym there. Wonderful uh, body of believers there. Uh, and I came across this story this, uh, this week in preparation for this. Uh, and I'd never heard this. How the gospel came to Korea. 
I don't know if you've ever uh, heard about this, but in 1866, a Welsh missionary to China named Robert J. Thomas, he, he learned that educated Koreans could read Chinese pretty well. And being an unreached people group, there began to grow inside of him this, this passion, this burden for taking uh, the gospel to China, or to Korea rather, to bring these Bibles to the Korean people. The problem was that at this time, Korea was a very closed country to outsiders. Foreigners were killed on the spot if they tried to get into Korea. But one day, he found a group of adventurers who were just dumb enough to try to go to Korea. So Robert gets on board with his Chinese Bibles. As their ship is sailing up the Taedong River, they eventually encountered hostile Koreans lining both sides of the river. They're firing shots at their ship. And they floated out these fires on little boats to try to catch their ship on fire. And it works. Their ship ignites. Their ship's burning down. And as their ship burned, these adventurers, they're grabbing all their weapons, everything they could, and they're thinking, you know, we're going to swim to shore. We're going to fight our way out of this. We're going to shoot, slash, fight our way out. Not one of them survived. Robert jumped ship too. But he was curious. He was an interesting fellow. He didn't have any weapons on him. Instead, he filled his arms with Bibles. He made his way to shore. And as he's approaching shore, he's being shot at. He's throwing Bibles to the shore to get them (laughs) to the Korean people. He's tossing these Bibles to shore. He finally gets to shore, and they club him to death. As he's shoving Bibles into their hands, they're beating him to death. Thirty years later, Korea had opened up. They're letting foreigners in. And a missionary named Sam Moffat, he came preaching the gospel. And one of his first converts was a man who had an old Chinese Bible. His father picked up on that bloody riverbank 30 years ago. What would move a man like Robert Thomas to draw near to people who wanted to kill him? One thing love, compassion. The love of Christ controls us because Jesus died for all. Church, in Christ, we have something to give that's worth dying for. How much less are the threats that we risk today to tell others about Jesus? I doubt that you're going to get clubbed to death sharing the gospel with people in Fishkill. There's a good chance that's not going to happen. Maybe you'll be smirked at or brushed off. But to keep Jesus to yourself... And only live a private faith that's not loving, it's cruel. Confessing Christ, changed values, compassion for the lost, these are signs of life. 
in someone who's been born again? Do you see these signs in your own life? Are there signs of life in your life? If not, if you're here today and your spirit's searching your heart and you're like, man, I don't, I don't feel that way. I don't, I don't know if I could do that. Heed the words of this Samaritan woman, come. Come and see a man. Can this be the Christ? This is the same invitation Jesus gave her. Go bring your shame and come. Come to me. Receive forgiveness and life. Jesus' invitation to come is for you too. Do you need to come to Jesus today? If so, come and bring your junk, bring your baggage, bring your shame, and receive forgiveness and life. Because he took your shame and died in your place on the cross to give you life. Trust him, and he will forgive you, and he'll give you eternal life. If you've already come to Jesus before, will you invite others? Will you adopt this testimony as yours? Come and see Jesus. Come with me. Come, let's check this out. What have you got to lose? Jesus lost it all to give you eternal life. And no one can ever take that from you. You have nothing to lose. Because the greatest treasure you could ever have can never be taken from you. Not even your life, because we know there's a resurrection. Let's pour our lives out, church, for this community. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the, the example of this Samaritan woman and the signs of life that we see in her after her encounter with Jesus. Lord Jesus, burden our hearts. May it be true of us that we can't keep quiet about Jesus. May it be true of us that we, we delight in the harvest. That we can't, we can't wait to get back out there again and talk to someone else about Jesus because it brings us great joy. And Father, give us greater compassion. Give us greater love for the lost knowing that you drew near to us. You loved us first. You died for us so that we could be made alive and be made part of your forever family. Father, may that love that you first showed us compel us to go to others and love as well. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.